Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony Slater and I'm here with Russell Case and today we are finding Jessica Walden. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really excited. I think it's a I think it's a delightful surprise to have uh, Jessica on the podcast today. I think the listeners at home um, it, they might know her from Instagram as as one of the the most phenomenally light and 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 strong practitioners on Instagram. Uh, they may not know that she's severely uh, debilitated uh, or that she's a mother of two and has a robust uh, professional career that in uh, organic farming that I think uh, uh, we should we should learn more about. I think our, our listeners would really like to hear um, her perspective. I think it's I think it's interesting and unusual. Yeah, I would like to hear that too. So Welcome, Jessica. I'm so happy you're here to join us today. Thanks, guys. I'm very happy to be here. I, yeah, I miss you too. Miss you too so much. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. Yes, very long. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the practice of Ashtanga Yoga? How you were introduced first, and also what keeps you practicing today? Well. I, at 21, I uh, was an exchange student in Australia, Adelaide uh, University, and um, I had previously done Taekwondo, but got my nose broken during sparring, so wanted to find something that still had the same sort of centering and stretching and breathing, but without the contact sport element of it, and um, I stumbled upon David and Simi Roche's um, lunchtime yoga classes at the Adelaide University. They were dance, the dance professors there, and they would teach yoga on the side. And of course, they both, you know, went on to become full-time yoga teachers themselves. And David was just getting into Ashtanga. This was in uh, 1994. This was a long time ago. <laughs> he was getting into the Ashtanga system, um, and he was eager to share it with us. And we watched a lot of the Richard Freeman uh, we did practices the Richard Freeman video at the time when David would go away to India. So um, that's how I discovered Ashtanga. And uh, shortly after sort of getting a taste of it, Tim Miller came to Australia and taught a two-week intensive. It was just basically the primary series, but it was super intensive to me. My dad had sent me some money for my birthday and uh, say I was going to turn 22 um, and the Australian dollar was trading at like 49 US cents or something crazy like that. So wow. the, the money that my dad sent me over, sent me was a lot and I could afford Tim Miller's. Uh, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to do this. I, I just want to see if maybe, um, number one, if, if I can actually do this practice and what's going to happen in the two weeks, you know, am I going to just, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine because it was so intense. Like I, I really had a hard time with yoga at the beginning, especially did, with Ashtanga. Did, did you know that your back was as jacked as it, as it is? <laughs> no, I did not know that at the time. I, I definitely was stiff in the back bends, but um, at the time, no, I had no idea. Um, what was the, so, what was the, the, the main um, pain point for you? What, what did you struggle with in the beginning? Was it just normal uh, hamstring stuff? Or? 
Uh, no, actually, I was incredibly weak. So I actually was quite flexible. Uh, backbends never were that easy for me, but I was very flexible every other way. And, and backbends actually were fine. They weren't, I, I just wasn't a bendy back, back bendy type of person, but I, I was flexible in all ways. I was incredibly noodly, so very little strength. <laughs> and so um, it was, I think it was just sheer, just the sheer endurance that one has to have <laughs> when trying to do that that primary series when you first come to it as a, as a sort of noodly type of female. Um, that, that's is, amazing because I mean, you're exactly. like, you're like a, a superwoman. You're like a superhero now. Like that's <laughs> that transformation. That arc of transformation is the scale of that shift is enormous. Yeah, you're so strong. That's what I meant. Yeah. To it, yeah. Right. No, I know. I know that it seriously, it, I, I agree. That's, I mean, that's why I know that this practice does have a way of transforming people, you know, it, uh, in so many ways that it doesn't seem possible when you first start. Um, but what I loved about it was that I, ha I had a lot of anxiety and fear, fear of failure, but at the end of my practice, I was so freaking exhausted <laughs> that I, I just didn't have the, the capacity, the mental capacity to stress out so much because stress takes a lot of energy. And um, I loved that feeling of being totally spent and then just getting on with my day, studying, trying to do well at university. And um, it was really uh, an incredible support for me during that time. Of course, I was by myself in Australia um, and uh, it just offered me something it offered me community at the beginning um, or yeah, for forever. It's, it's, I still have a great community from that. Um, but it, it was freaking challenging. <laughs> it really wiped me out. Uh, I loved that part about it, I guess. It was that it took all of this mental anxiety and anguish that I might be feeling. And it basically like ripped it all to shreds. And so, yeah. you know, with that, and it still does that. <laughs> Yeah, you know. that's always like a joke. You know, the practice is so hard that it leaves you so so exhausted that you don't have any energy to get into trouble anymore. Exactly, right? <laughs> it's just kind of like, uh, whatever. You know, like just have a coffee and get on with things, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's really what it was. But also, so not only was it a mental, uh, helped me very much mentally and still does. It, it never has not done that. Um, but uh, it also... I saw changes in my, my physicality so, so quickly. Um, and I did suddenly start to see things that I never thought possible being possible. And I think that was such a great uh, learning for me. It was just that what, you know, you, you just never know. You never know unless you, um, you just keep going. You just keep ded dedicate yourself to something without knowing what, what's really going to happen, but the rewards and the discoveries continually happen and they, and they still do, even though in different ways than back then. Yeah. It's amazing. What were you studying in Australia? Where, where, where were you in school? I mean, you said you were on a transfer program. Like what were you doing? So I was, first I was at UCSC, UC Santa Cruz as um doing environmental studies in agroecology and sustainable agriculture 
and uh, then I went to Australia as an exchange student just because I wanted to be able to travel doing, during university, thinking that maybe that would be the only time I'd ever travel in my life <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, I was getting loans, student loans, you know, and I thought, why not just travel as well? I've got to pay back all this stuff. You know, I might as well just make the best of it. So I went to Adelaide University and they had, they didn't have an environmental studies um, well, no, they don't have agriculture or an environment there. <laughs> but I got to take lots of different classes. Like I could pick whatever I wanted that would fulfill the, the sort of uh, requirements back home. So I took psychology, uh, sociology. I took uh, like um, natural resource management. I even went to did viticulture uh, classes like in microbiology and wine science. So I, I got to do lots of wine tasting with them. <laughs> that sounds like a nice class <laughs> we all had like bright red red uh mouths all the time but um anyway so yeah I got to pick and choose it was a lot of fun yeah and did you realize how um I mean it's that's a pretty amazing introduction to Ashtanga yoga practicing with David and Simi and then Tim Miller and yeah. I mean did you have any idea how fortunate you were to have such <laughs> I mean, incredible first teachers? No, I didn't know that until later because I think it it was also new to me, the whole world of yoga. I didn't, I mean, I had never heard of Tim Miller, obviously, before. He was, I think he was 40 years old when he came, you know, he was in the <gasps> no. prime of his, yes, can you believe it? He was like wow. in the prime We're of so his so much life. older than that now. <laughs> wow. I know. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was just as young, you know, in, and same with David and Simi, I didn't know, I, you know, I, I just didn't know. But of course, as I stuck with it over the years, you know, um, and went to India and started meeting that whole network of people, uh, I started to understand that. And then eventually ended up in Encinitas, you know, where Tim Miller taught. So, yeah, that's an amazing yeah. sort of destiny. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. My first trip was, uh, I was practicing right next to David Roche and his son, uh, Youngblood. Youngblood and I were the same age and we became really Mm. close friends. And it was really disconcerting for me because um, David moved his mouth a lot when he practiced, (laughs) you know, like he was, you know, like a pucker lips, you know, just like he was trying to you know, smell something like a, like yeah. a cat, you know, and then um, he and Youngblood, who for the first two weeks that I knew him, I referred to him as Vladimir, because I have a hearing problem. <laughs> and Vladimir, I mean, Youngblood and, and David would practice right next to each other. And they both had like the most enormous um, testicles. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> these guys these guys with their enormous sack. I just like, and you could, you just knew that it was genetic. Was it a little intimidating or something? It was really, yeah, it was not, not my, not the best introduction to Mysore. I can tell you that. Like, wow, wow, this this place. Hmm. Um, (laughs) Thanks for that. Yes, well, yeah, I mean, to, I mean, that's, I just, I just wanted to know if that was your experience, David. Well, okay. I, firstly, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I was on the diving team when I went for, for <laughs> eight years old to 18. I know a lot about 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because I have boys have to wear those terrible speedos. But in any case, I do know something about the puckered lips, though. And I'll tell oh, you. Yeah. It's because of the bondas. Uh, what? I, I think that the, I believe that to be, as far as I remember, is that is the way that David would would kind of contact his bondas was hmm. to because I mean the mouth I guess is a is like a. I, I, to be honest, I don't want to like speak for him, but, but it was for some, I, cause I think sometimes because bondage can be so elusive and uh, non-tangible that there are ways in which people uh, try to bring them into being by using different parts of their own bodies to do that. So I, I believe that's what it was. He was constantly reminding and accessing his bondage during the practice and it, it sort of oozed out into the lip puckering Oh, um, that's amazing. I wish you hadn't said ooze, but um, anyway, I I know I know David I know David well, but one the, one of the last things he said to me is is that as as his practice started ch- shifting with age, um, things really started to change for him. And one of the first things that happened for him is that he couldn't turn to the left anymore. Mm. which was really disturbing when last year I found that I couldn't turn to the left anymore. (laughs) And and so I I wanted to ask you if you could really describe your injury. Cause I I have a kind of rough idea that you're, that you're like, you're, you're risking, um, you're, you're risking, uh, uh, what does that when you can't move your body anymore? Paralysis. Paral- like you're risking paralysis by doing yoga. Is it, is it, is it that? Is, do I have a completely different idea of what it, what the of the reality is, as, as usual? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I will. I think uh, you know yoga or or any movement that we fall in love with. I mean, basically, essentially, bodies are you know, we're meant to move and we're also meant to heal. Like our bodies will try to heal us even if we might not look very, you know, like the normal person, like we'll, we'll have scars and we'll have imbalances and we'll, um, we won't be able to do the things that we used to, but our bodies still want to continue to move in whatever way that we can and over and, and compensate for the things that no longer work. It's just kind um. of nature. Um, but if I would have continued to try to do intense back bends yes uh, definitely i could have risked paralysis in fact if you look at a if you look at a one of the because i was contemplating surgery um this is almost 10 years ago now when this whole thing happened when i when this acute situation happened um and one of the surgeons that i went to see because i went to see three of them to get different um sort of opinions one of them said you know looking at my mri if this would have happened to you all at one time you would have been a paraplegic. There's no doubt about it. Your Whoa. body over time, yeah, your body over time has adapted and found new ways to allow you to continue to do what you were doing. But, you know, if that would happen to you in a car accident or whatever, um, you know, obviously I had an issue that I kept, I kept exacerbating over time. And then I got pregnant twice, had, you know, had all of those hormones that make everything kind of loose and mm-hmm. and kept practicing really quickly after giving birth and you know I just kept going not understanding well number one my body was adapting and allowing me to do that but eventually there had to 
be a breaking point. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky that I, I broke, but I, I didn't break in the way that where I couldn't come back from, you know? Um, but when he said we're that talking to me, about I just, like a, a vertebra that slipped out or something like that, a, well, a subduction or something like that. It's like, so a normal spine, you've got the vertebra that stack, you know, on top of one another separated by a disc. So you've got that spongy, um, shock absorber and for my lower back l5s1 uh one vertebra goes pushes way forward and the other one pushes back so it's almost like they're one's kind of hanging over the other and then the the constant sort of movement in that area for all the all that time basically i ground away my disc so i have no Mm. disc anymore so that's completely gone and i think what happened was is that when the acute situation happened, it's like finally that last little bit of like plasma, <laughs> last little bit of goo, whatever it was of the disc, uh, just eventually like, like slipped away, went away. And then it was just the vertebra on vertebra, misaligned vertebra and cr- probably crushing, well, definitely crushing nerves. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's like when he said those words, I burst into tears. Like I cried and cried and cried Aww. because of the fear, like the fear, well, the fear that, yeah, sure. here I, you know, and here I had in good faith been doing this to myself all these yeah, years. Because all was you know, coming. Yeah. Because all was coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing was, is that uh, I'd always had yoga for all the, all, all the difficult and amazing things in my life. I've always practiced like through my pregnancies with my children you know, uh, since I was 21. And so I just, I knew that I needed to, to then continue it, but do it in a, from a place of my own knowing and uh, of my limitations. And, um, and that has been, you know, the, the last surgeon, actually, I went to see, actually, he was amazing. And he said, your spine is so freaking strong. And I, if I, tr- if I opened you up, and I tried to correct your situation. I may make it worse. I may find that I can't correct it because it's been going, you know, you've had this for so long. Yeah. And uh, you keep doing what you're doing and come to me when you, when your life, you know, significantly is, you know, you're suffering. You're really, really suffering. But otherwise, if you're not suffering, just don't do the intense stuff, but let pain be your guide. And I was like, thank you. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and so that's always been my, my motto from that point forward. Uh, and it's always, I'm always listening to myself every single day because it's always different. Is it, is it right that, that you worked with, um, oh shoot, I, don't, I can't remember his name right now, but with Pete. Pete Agoscu? Yeah, you worked with Pete Agoscu. Was that, I, I have the understanding that that was super helpful to you, that working with his kind of body awareness techniques and strengthening techniques? Yes, definitely. And, you know, I hate to say I haven't kept up the exercise, all the darn exercises, because there's only so many things we can fit in a day, you know, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, <laughs> but the, the key thing that I learned from Peter Gostio, and it's very, very simple, is that walking, walking every single day with your arms, like naturally, like swinging beside you is the key to keeping us healthy and balanced um and it's because that's what we're meant to do you know we don't do that anymore and i certainly don't do that as much as i should but 
that's the one thing that um, actually I felt like really helped me was that I just started walking every day with the arms swinging. Um, and, you know, you just realize you're, you're, our structure wants to be able to walk. And so when we stop walking, we stop uh, using a whole lot of these little tiny um, pathways in our body. And so then we have to overcompensate with other things. So anyway, that's I, I would recommend that to anyone. Just walk. Jeez. The the rumor from some friends I have out east is that uh, the reason Tiger Woods got surgery is that he just wouldn't do the exercises that Pete laid out for him to do, and he just mm. like I'm not. And then he just he didn't do it. Yeah, probably. I mean, I did them for a long time, so I I will say that they they were really good, and they definitely took away the fear and they made my legs a lot stronger, which was also another thing that I needed to do. So um, I don't do them anymore, but I also saw Pete a long, long time ago. And I probably will go back to them as well. And I, after this call, in fact, I <laughs> 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 get back on that horse. <laughs> and so you started yoga when you were 21 and how old were you when like you had this acute moment you know what were you doing and what happened that made you um like made you realize like oh no something's gone terribly wrong mm, right well there there was some kind of lead up signs i guess it was i think it was like i think it was 8 years ago and i had gone to india and i was i working full time and then also helping, you know, practicing in the shala and also helping Sharat do all the adjusting after. <laughs> so it was like full on, like I just, yeah. you know, it's a full on sort of day. So it's like, um, and I had, a, I had some situations where I was helping men with back bends and they slipped on their mats because they're sweating. Yeah. And yeah, so holding them, you know? And so, so there was some, I think my body was just exhausted. And mm -hmm. so shortly after that, I got back to Encinitas uh, I think it was like that same week and I went to Tim Miller's studio and I was doing first series and um, I just I was doing backbends and I went to stand up from backbend and uh, I pushed myself up, you know, I stood up and the most incredible, I thought I was paralyzed then actually because the most incredible oh. pain just shot from the middle of my spine all the way down to my lower feet, lower feet, oh underneath my feet, all the way up to the top of my head. Everything seized. I couldn't move. Whoa. And Tim just had to basically lay me down onto the ground and I couldn't raise my head to take a painkiller. He had a, yeah. he over a pain I had no, I wasn't able to move anything. And he, <laughs> so, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, so scary. And uh, so they, scary. Uh, Andrew came and took me to the emergency your, room and they, your ex-husband, my, my ex-husband, Andrew, yeah. um, one of my closest friends. Me, yep. Close, close friends with you guys. And he's a close friend of mine as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he took me to the emergency room and they pumped me with like anti, what do you call it? Uh, inflammatory, inflammatory cortisone. Yeah. Just everything, I think. <laughs> Anything they could find. Morphine. <laughs> and, then, and then gave me an MRI, and they're just like, holy crap. That, that, oh was, gosh. that was it. That was when the life, my life changed. Uh, yeah. Whoa. 
uh, eight years ago. Eight years ago, yeah. So you've been practicing about 20 years at that point. Uh, God, really? Yeah. <laughs> now? You're 49? <laughs> 47. No, 47. 47. 47. Okay. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been practicing. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Almost 20 years. Yeah. 18 years. Yeah. You have, uh, you have two children and they're like, they're like geniuses, right? The two of them? They're almost adults. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. You have two adult children. They're, yeah. I, I do. And they vinegar. To, that's for sure. <laughs> totally. They first went to India when they were almost two and almost five. I believe it. Yeah, that's when I met them. <laughs> yes, so long right. ago. <laughs> so long ago. It's crazy. But um, it was a great time. Yeah, and you guys were there for a year living or two, two years? 18 months. 18 months, yeah. Wow. Oh, how did I remember that? That's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> and what was that like living with your kids in India for 18 months? And, and how did you do that? You, you must have left at some point and come back, right? Yeah, I think every six months we had to go somewhere. So we'd go to, went to Sri Lanka one time, Australia another, or yeah, Australia yeah. another. So I guess we went, we went away twice. So yeah, it was great. I mean, it was, again, I was working full time. So it was, it was again, in an intense, <laughs> just seems like things are always intense. I always have this bloody job. <laughs> this, but, is, um, this is one of those situations <laughs> where your husband was dependent on you to make all the money while you also took care of all the children. And he was, all the yoga. Okay. Yeah, well, he was, he was, he's also a great uh, children taker, carer. Minder, of our, minder. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, he's great. He's, you know, he's very much a hands-on dad. So, yeah. um, uh, but yes, I was the, I was the sugar mama. And, and it's, ha- it's hard to work in India, right? You have to like get up really early or stay up really late, right? Yeah, it was like, it was doing both, straddling both of those times. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of having the kids there, you know, the first week was really treacherous because I was worried they were going to be get sick. So like, I swear to God, that was the most intense part of it. And then once they were there for a while, we were there, we sort of settled in. It was very freeing in a sense that, you know, we got to ride the scooter around to the family, as I'm sure you know. And, yeah, um, it's fun. And it's a child loving country, you know, it so is, we met yeah. a lot of amazing people through them because they were so uh, just people came up to us, wanted to talk to us because of our kids, really. Yeah, that's an amazing thing about India. It really always blows me away about how how much they love children, like really Mm -hmm. adore children and treat children so well. And they're never upset if, you know, a child's crying or having a temper tantrum or whatever. They just, they fully embrace yeah. This, this stage of life. And as a mother, you are treated with so much respect there. It's, it's really incredible. It is. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. Found that very positive experience. And my kids love, love India. They, they always go back, you know, they go back with Andrew quite regularly. So it's That's a part, so of nice. their, part of them. Yeah. Jedi really doesn't like India anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah, he's told me it's weird, it's dirty, and it's dangerous. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I can't really argue with you on those fronts, so I guess it's, I'm not going to force you to go anymore. It wasn't our fault you got lost at the circus, Jediah. 
Yeah, he, <laughs> he did get lost at Cirque du Soleil in <laughs> Delhi, so it kind of left a bad, uh, was, oh, man. a bad taste in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I would feel the same as like a 47-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what kind of, can you tell us about your work and how is it that you were able to work from India? But I also, maybe before we, we do that, can you tell us like a little bit about your first trip to India, maybe meeting the, the, the people there and like walking to the Shala and what it was like, what the, you know, what, what was, what was your, what was your epoch? What epoch did you enter in a Mysore? Epoch. What does that mean? <laughs> it's one of those creatures from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> That's an Ewok. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so I went in 2001. That was the, the first uh, time I went to India. Is that right? And um, it was right after September 11th. Was that 2001? Yeah. 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 So it was like, like shortly thereafter. And um, like the next month. And uh, the shala was still at Lakshmi in Lakshmi Puram, Puram and um, again, Australian dollar was quite low at the time I was living in Australia, and so um, we had, to, you know, everything was in American dollars. Like the shala fees are in American dollars, you know, sort of in terms of the. I obviously, it was in a rupee, but everything was based off of the American dollar at that time. Yeah. So. We moved, we shared a place called Post Office House, which is basically You, just you like and a, Andrew did. Me and Andrew, yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, my friend, who's my ex-husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it was not, you know, it was just a very uh, simple little tiny place. Um, uh, and looked like cold shower, only cold shower. And yeah. we lived just, but it was right down the street from the Shala. So... And we, we also moved in with a girl named Kiri, a girl named Kiri, who's from New Zealand. She lived there and we're still still friends today. Um, we met Sharmila and Tarek at that time as well. They lived right next door to us. There, I mean, just a That's lot of Sharmila really... Desai. That... Sharmila that... Desai, yep. Yeah. Um, and and so... Tarek Tammy. The giant. The giant. The giant. Yeah. Jelly, jelly giant. And um, so it was just it was a great time, you know, it was it was very I mean, they're, they, I think they're only allowed six or eight people in the shawl at a time. So you would go in and just line up in the stairs and watch people uh, and until you were able to go in and practice. Um, I don't know. It was all very new and exciting. And I was always really nervous um, because it was just so different, you know, for me. I, did, I had ne never experienced anything like that before. But... Yeah, it was fun. But it was pre pre-children as well, right? Pre-children, and I didn't work during that time. That was the only uh, time I've been to India where I didn't have to work. So uh, that's so nice. Yeah, Were you concerned about the food, about eating the food, knowing so much about food? Oh well, I guess back then I was still. I guess I was working in organics back then, but in Australia, um, we we always connected with organic, like small little places but um I, we would also eat at like hotels and, and stuff or or go to uh various people that were cooking for yoga students so i didn't i guess when you the thing is when you travel and you, know, you guys know like when you travel you kind of have to let a lot of your ideals and what you might do for yourself at home kind of kind of just 
you have to relax those ideals sometimes in certain situations. And back then, um, I just kind of went with it, you know, yeah. as long yeah. as I was as, as safe as I could be. So tell us about your work. What, how did what, you get into organics and, and what exactly do you do? What is organic? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a mystery. It's such a mystery, I know. Well, so when I was a senior in high school and just uh, found out I was going to go to UCSC, UC Santa Cruz, um, I asked myself, what did I, what did I actually want to be when I, you know, at that time, I didn't really have an idea about what I wanted to be when I grow up kind of thing. And I said, I, all I know is I just want to grow my own food. I want to have fruit trees and vegetables. And um, so maybe that's what I'll study, you know, environmental studies, uh, agriculture. So I know how to do that. You know, I was living in Sacramento at the time as when I was going to high school and I had no connection with land at that time. And so I thought, well, I better, I could go to university for that, learn how to do that. Um, and so I went to university in Santa Cruz and they had an organic farm on campus. And, they, and so I got to begin to understand that a little bit better. And then there, I also uh, was an intern at the Homeless Garden Project, which was an organic farm down in Santa Cruz with, that hired homeless people to work and also um, you know, they got, to, they got paid for what they sold and they got to eat and have the food as well. So it was a great uh, operation. And then I went to Australia and got more heavily into agriculture there um, because it was much more, it was not like the bubble that is Santa Cruz um, where everything look, is, seems so perfect. Australia was much more like what farm and country, you know, soils <laughs> and, uh, you know, delicate soils, hardly any water. It was like a That's whole other. Easily one of the best Australian accents I've ever heard. <laughs> Probably top Thank three. You. Thank you. Thank you. It's taking a long time to that. So, yeah, I guess the thing is, I've always, since I was 18, been interested in growing food and how it's grown and to do it in a sustainable way where you're not causing harm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, one thing led to another. I got a job with a certifier in 1996 after. I married Andrew, who's no longer my ex, and who's no longer my husband, is my, is my friend. Um, I married him in 1996, and I went back to Australia, because I got married in the States, um, and uh, got a, a job with an organic certifier there. And a certifier goes out to farms and um, any food establishments that are making certified organic food and, and does inspections to make sure they're actually doing what they say they're doing. Uh, looks right. at records, does soil testing, you know, the whole thing, so that to consumers, um, have faith in what organic, uh, that, that sort of label of what organic is. Mm -hmm. So I started working as an inspector, traveling around Australia, doing inspections of organic farms and processing facilities. And that's, you know, it's 1996 and I'm still doing it um, because the industry has only grown around the world. You know, there's organic everywhere now. Co governments are involved all over the, the world. So I, I really have seen... Yeah, I was told that it's better for me to eat organic food. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> why? <laughs> that's true. But wait, why is that true? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, firstly, uh, organic, the organic way, method of growing is based upon a systems approach. So, you know, like where we take care of ourselves, say, and, and it, like 
liken it to our own bodies where we want to be healthy, you know, have a healthy system. So we eat good food, we um, exercise, you know, meditation, all of those things. Well, it's like that with the land too. Having a system of management where you are growing plants to attract uh, beneficial insects so that you're not reliant on pesticides, you know, having a whole ecosystem that is actually working for itself to be healthy as opposed to having to get outside inputs into it to, to kill something off or to make something Attracting grow. good insects. That's really a part yes. of it. Oh yeah, for oh. sure. Because there's a lot of, you know, like a parasitic wasp is going to, is going to take care of um, your, your grubs uh, in, in your, in your fields. Um, there's a whole lot of different management practices. So it first is very much about your whole systems approach. And then there are materials that you can use that are not you know, devastating to the environment that break down very quickly, um, that are from natural uh, sources. Um, so again, you're not degrading the water. Um, you're not degrading the air. You're not sort of damaging the earth. You're, you're trying to grow in harmony with it. Hey, so for like example yeah. growing, growing up in in Louisiana you know we're told that we live in in what's called cancer alley because all <laughs> right. of the pesticides you know, you know about that all of the pesticides and herbicides along in the midwest mm. r run down the mississippi river and then yeah. we ingest them in the form of shrimp mm -hmm. and exactly. so uh, that's not good you're saying yeah, it's not good. I know it sounds like it's good, but yeah, I mean, so when you say why is eating organic food better for me? I mean, there's tons of nutritional studies where, you know, that scientists have said it's either better or it's worse. You know, there, I, I think that you could look at the nutritional value. I mean, I think it depends upon soils and, and that sort of thing. But I think mm -hmm. ultimately, overall, uh, we all live in this on this planet. You know, we, we, we clearly see that right now with COVID, you know, we, mm -hmm. we are all connected. It's there's, and we're so whatever we're doing to the soil, we're doing to ourselves directly. We're doing that to our children. We're doing that to our, um, the animals and the insects and everything else. I mean, it's just, it's, it, I would say that food coming from land that's healthy is obviously going to be healthy. It doesn't seem like it's any stretch of the imagination to be able to, to say that, but, um, but overall, in terms of what we're doing to the environment, it's, uh, it's essential that we change our agricultural practices. They're incredibly devastating. The conventional ones, the non-organic practices are can be very devastating to not only the, the consumers, but to the, the farmers themselves and the, the people downstream. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was listening um, to a talk. Um, I forget the name of the person who was giving the talk, but she was... Um, explaining the importance of having good soil and how mm. good soil um, often comes from, you know, having the animals like of that area roaming freely on the land and trying to farm in a way that is the most aligned with nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. And that yeah. um, when they test the the fruits and the vegetables that come from that kind of style of farming, um, they actually are much more nutrient dense than um, the sort of typical, uh, you know, big 
big farms where they're using the pesticides and the chemicals and the soil is very depleted of nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make sense. Um, you might see science that says otherwise, but I, I never really believe that. It's like you kind of inherently, inherently that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, uh, so, yeah. But can I ask you, if, if you go to a farm and you test the farm to see if, you know, if they're really doing what they're saying they're doing, but how do you do that when you're in, in Gokulam? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, so I worked as an inspector for a long time and then started working as a reviewer, which is, there's a, I was reviewing inspection reports and then you review. So it's a lot of, you know, documents that you're looking at to, to the inspector inspector submits those reports and all the other information you get and then you make the review of whether or not they should be certified and if they should be certified under what conditions do they have to fulfill any other requirements as a part of that so um so I could do that review work from anywhere I was no longer doing inspections and and since then I don't even work for certifier anymore I now work for the the USDA or National Organic Program which is we audit certifiers so i'm even i'm even further you know so we look at the certifiers to make sure they're doing uh the right thing uh implementing the standards out there and making sure that they're inspecting and you know um, i thought they would have done away with all that the last few years no no actually not it's, <laughs> it's amazing and i that's what i thought too but the the strange thing is i think both the left and the right want to support rural communities and opportunities for oh. farmers. Yeah, it's it really because organic does offer, um, you know, opportunities for, for farmers. They, mm-hmm. they can decide to move in that direction and actually have some security there um, in the marketplace. So uh, it is really, uh, it's a viable, it's seen as a viable thing from both perspectives, which is very, I'm very grateful for, obviously. Yeah, that's amazing to have a job that you can do it from anywhere. What a benefit. Yes, that was that was really great. Except the problem is you never leave your work. Hmm. <laughs> you never like that's take right. a break. Just you don't you don't really get a real vacation very often. <laughs> yeah. Well, but anyway. What do you do? Like instead of getting a cigarette, do you do some handstands? Is that what you what you do? When I have my fifteen minute break, my have my smoko. Yeah. <laughs> quote unquote smoko. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I sometimes like I have a stand up desk where, you know, I can boogie, I can move my hips, man, when I'm doing my work. <laughs> um, <laughs> helps the flow. But then I, you know, I always, I'm able to do a practice every day at home. These days I don't go anywhere to practice anymore. And that's, so that also works really well. Everything's kind of done at home. You're able to, to maintain a kind of intensity that, that works for you. Yes. Do you do that in the morning? Do you, do you wait till later? What do you like to do? Well, uh, right now, it, it kind of does change. But right now, I work East Coast hours. I, I live on the West Coast. So I work to match the East Coast, which means I start very early in the morning and I finish earlier. And so now my practices are generally around 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, sometimes is annoying because, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're either you're hungry or you're too full because you didn't yeah. face out your, your food situation. Um, 
but uh, but I like it. I think my body <laughs> likes it when it's later yeah, mm. too. Yeah. yeah, we also enjoy that practice time. That's that's really mm. our schedule. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, we take care of Jed for about six to eight hours, and then we get a practice in. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so with your injury and and everything. How, like, what do you focus on in your practice? You've kind of taken out the extreme back bends. Um, do you do any back bends at all? Do you do yeah. an upper dog? Yeah. I mean, it looks really bad. Mm. <laughs> it looks bad. Every now and again, I, when I post videos, I leave it in because I'm just like, you know, it's just, this is the truth. It's like the old, I mean, for me, I'm just like, ah, feel that back bend. And then if you see it on video or if anyone wants to see it, it's like, you're doing your plank now. Yeah. So it's a very stiff upward dog, but yeah, I, I, um, I'm always trying to work the other parts of my spine, basically my upper spine and right. neck and stuff as much as I can. And I just, I just, um, I stay out of my lower back. So yeah, it it makes it it makes everything just look different differently. Um, but, but I'm always how do you trying stay to out it. of how do you stay out of your lower back? Well, you should try it sometime. I mean, it's <laughs> essentially I like I mean I I just really open my chest. I really mm -hmm. like expand the upper back, and then I really engage my legs. Yeah. To basically have just my legs and straight to the upper back doing the work and the lower back gets to kind of just hang out and not have to take any kind of bend mm -hmm. at all. Okay. It can stay straight. It, I mean, you, you could see it. it. It's not, again, it's not, um, it doesn't look great, but it certainly feels good to me because it mm -hmm. feels very safe. And it also feels like I'm still getting to open up, you know, because the back bend is so great for opening that, opening yourself up in that way. And I, I, I can do that to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And then it feels really good to use my legs too yeah. as like a real grounding and safety support. And then you like to focus on the handstands, don't you? Yeah, oh my God, that kind of <laughs> took over. <laughs> just, a, just so much fun yeah. like me it's like being a like me i would like i said i was such a freaking weakling growing <laughs> up and like through my early adult years that it is like a new even though it has i've been doing this for a long time but it, it really is so much fun um and i wish i even had more time to play around with it i think right now my practices are quite quick because i'm trying to fit it all in you know um yeah. with work and hang out with my my boys and stuff but um but uh yeah i i just have really enjoyed that feeling of being upside down finding my center in that way and experimenting with things and working out how to use my body in certain ways so that i, I actually it actually feels so light it doesn't take that much effort yeah that's amazing um, yeah it's just it's been a lot of fun just the whole exploratory aspect of it what would you say to someone who's afraid of going upside down? Uh, well, I, I guess the thing is like, I, I completely understand that. And I think there's just different stages. Um, I think probably the headstand against a wall um, mm -hmm. and getting kind of maybe, you know, focusing on feeling okay being in headstand even against a wall and doing that for a while. 
I think like when I first, I remember with Tim Miller, I could never, I could not do a headstand in the middle of the room. The whole two weeks that he taught, I would fall down the whole time, <laughs> like wow. constantly falling down. I kept trying, but yeah, I had to use the wall for a long time. And I, I think that it's just, it's because when you go upside down, things can be very disorienting. So you just have to begin to know yourself from that perspective, you know, know mm -hmm. the different parts of you. Um, and, you know, going upside down against a wall and, or having somebody there, of course, with a, you know, a trusted teacher there to spot you and keep you center, um, I think is the, the best starting point and stay there as long as possible until you want to move to the center of the floor. And then once you get that, that's the most elating experience ever when you can actually do it in the middle of, a, of the floor. Um, I do think it's just, it all goes in stages. And I think we, we think we have to get to some end point really quickly. And if we can't get there quickly, we might as well not try, but God, the body learns so quickly when you just yeah. open up to whatever, accepting whatever it's going to be. It just is like, okay, I got it. And, you know, it, it's, it's really. You can build on that, that foundation. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I think having mm -hmm. a, a strong foundation first before thinking yeah. you have to go somewhere else is the best. Would you say like after the headstand, then like maybe forearm balance or would you go to the, the handstands? Yeah, forearm, forearm balance, I think is, is a good one. And even like from a headstand, maybe again, going kind of close to a wall, but trying to push up uh, yeah. Which I guess is the forearm balance is also yeah. uh, another way of finding your center because you're actually moving um, upside down. Yeah, that was actually one of the first uh, things that I was uh, taught how to do when I first started practicing is it was, I don't know, back back in the good old days, <laughs> it was kind <laughs> of it was kind of part of the practice that first you do headstand, then you'd learn half headstand, and then you'd learn how to lift out of the headstand and mm. so it's just it's something I've always done I yeah. never stopped doing it and it I feel like it it, it informs you so much about how yes. to find your center it's incredible it really is yeah I totally agree with that I remember actually I asked Sherrod about it because it was in his it was in the chart you know with Sherrod doing yeah it's on, headstand. That, poster. It's on that poster and I said Sherrod can I can I do that and he like looked at me and he kind of like looked around. He said, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Only you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, don't don't teach. Uh, you know. So it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, because yeah, he doesn't want into every, he doesn't want like a domino effect happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. Because you do fall out of it a lot at the beginning. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know, I know, but, but it's, it's, yeah, it's so good. It's such a great, like you said, it's, it informs you so much when you have to. Yeah, find that center. That. Yeah, because yeah. you can't really lift if you don't have your center. That's the, mm -hmm. that's sort of the trick to the whole thing. <laughs> right, that's the gatekeeper. It's like, okay, yeah. you got the headstand, it's solid, but uh, what about uh, lifting? Hmm? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> one of the one of the things that we've had to do the last couple of weeks is is add a parental advisory to um, our podcast. And so, one of the things I'm I'm really grateful for with you, Jessica, is 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 how you keep it real, real nice. You do a real nice, family friendly show, and I'm really 
I'm grateful. To, you know. Yeah, but you said testicles. Russell, you totally <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there still has to be that advisory. <laughs> oh, you know, I'd already moved on and forgotten. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. so rarely I, I know what I'm going to say. Typically, I mean, I have my moments, but you know, yeah, it's time and place. <laughs> Well, we're just so glad that you could come on the podcast today and chat with us and share your story. And I know everyone's going to love hearing about it because it's so relatable and it's so, you have so much information and so much wisdom and knowledge in your practice and all the things you've been through and dealt with. And I think we could probably do about, you know, five more podcasts and really dig into, into your uh, treasure bank of knowledge but we'll have to save those for another time. <laughs> Sounds really <laughs> penetrative. I don't just hear. Well, hopefully we can like sit around the fire one day <laughs> together. More <laughs> stories, but, but thank you so much. I really, like I said, really appreciate it. I'm honored. And I love uh, also what you do, Harmony in the World. I, I really completely love and value you too I really am just inspired and always very touched and moved by uh, your presence out there and and I know there are a lot of people feel that way as well tons especially your students and unfortunately I haven't ever been able to learn from you but you never know one day and then oh, we're, um, we're peers we would we would never <laughs> yeah. we would never no, subject I, I ourselves always, to each other I can other. always learn something oh but, um, you're so nice yeah, and well, Russell I love you. what you do too your interesting art and, and interesting expressions art <laughs> and expressions are amazing <laughs> you always make me laugh you're a sweetheart um, but you are an amazing artist. So you guys, I'm super happy to be here and happy that that you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah. So big, Mutual big, adoration all around. <laughs> big kisses to Narayana and Anjanea, please. Yes, thank you. Two fine young men. Okay, thanks so much. All right, thanks Love guys. You. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves there's a hard